G'day, welcome back to the Talking Leadership TV podcast series. Thanks again for joining me. My guest today is Mark Labusque. Mark is universally known as the human manager. His proven techniques for elevating leaders and energizing employees makes him an internationally sought-after speaker, facilitator, mentor, and coach. He has two books, Being Human and The Little Book of Human, that have challenged the way managers and organizations view the value of the 100-year-old management system and have sparked a more human-based approach across the globe. He has an innate ability to speak and seek the truth, provokes humans to step into their own reality, and skillfully combines lived experience, practicality and simplicity with textbook theory. Mark is a Harvard Business School trained and accredited practitioner in adaptive leadership and instincts at work and is affectionately known as a certified bogan. I enjoyed the discussion with Mark today and it provides some insights into leadership that I am looking forward to sharing with you. As always, thank you for your support of the podcast and I'll hand over to Mark. Mark, thanks for your time and for wanting to have a chat with me around leadership. Um, But Let's go to first principles here, and I want to ask you a question, a two-parter. Why deal with leaders in the work that you do professionally, and um, what is it about leadership that excites you in terms of working with other human beings on uh, the leadership topic area? Well, we say, why work with leaders in in this space? Look, because I think that um, I think there's there's a requirement to keep some of the good from, I think, the historical leadership practices and leadership development programs, but there's an even greater need to, to bring leadership into the future. And, and I think that's the big one for me, Eric, is that um, my approach to this leadership work is very much around leading self. And and, and I, I got a bit disappointed even though I used to love going to leadership development programs when I was in the corporate world I used to get disappointed that we'd just get to fill out some sort of psychometric profile of ourselves and and that was all the work we did on self and I I think it was a lazy facilitator's way of having something to to label people with so why work in this space I think because I'm trying to break the the model there are some good psychometric profiling tools out there, by the way, but break the model that you shouldn't be told what you are as a leader. You should be given the opportunity in leadership development work to discover that. So I think that's the first part. That's that's what really, the way I see people go on the self-discovery um, path is, is pretty powerful. So I think that's the first part. Um, that second question, mate, I'm, a, I'm nearly 56. I've forgotten that second question. What was it again? So, um... And, and I think you've kind of answered it, but it was more around why work with leaders as a as a day to day thing. So you've talked about the, that um, exploring knowledge of self and what does it mean to be uh, a leader, the the introspective side of things, and which I'll, I've got a follow up question for you on that. But yeah, so of of all the topic areas for you personally, leadership is criti- a critical thing for you. Why? Well, what's your why? I'm, I guess I'm asking. Because I think we've confused. I, I was very fortunate, I say fortunate, to come across um, some work on a leadership framework called Adaptive Leadership created by Ron Heifetz and Marty Linsky out of the Harvard Kennedy School. Um, and also to attend that school and do do some work around understanding that framework some more. And I always had a view that 
we were, I thought this myself before I got to, to Harvard was that we really did confuse authority and leadership, that we called people leaders because they were in positions that had fancy titles and they might have had the big office and and they had some authority and responsibility, some important things to do. But for some reason, we called them leaders who were part of a leadership team who went to a leadership meeting every week and then a leadership offsite. And I just think we throw that word around like it's candy at a kid's birthday rather than going, leadership's actually what you do, not what your fancy title is. And and so I have a real um, desire to help people to understand that leadership is is a thing, um, as in it's it's what you do. It's not a person. It's an action or an activity. I think there are too many leadership actors and not enough leadership action. So my, my thought is we've got to show that everyone in an organisation, and I mean everyone, has an ability to demonstrate leadership and they don't need, and a lot of people say this, but they don't need to have a fancy title. So I'm trying to break that that down. So I look at it like this and say, imagine the opportunity in an organisation if you truly believe that everyone in your organisation was capable of demonstrating leadership and you gave them permission to do so. Yeah, I'm just just thinking about what you just said then. Um the something that comes to mind and I've I've done this in some conversations with serving and ex-military people is when they explained how leadership was developed in the military context in context sorry that you should be able to lead at level below and above your your pay grade so to speak if needed in an operational sense and I think that translates quite nicely into what you're saying about organizations that potentially everyone has the capacity to lead. You don't necessarily need the fancy title. Um, I, I, I couldn't agree more with that, but um, organizations are what they are and people like structures and they like hierarchy. So I, I tend to think personally, and this isn't a, a shot at, at businesses, you've got to organize in some way. And so having some people that make those final decisions are your key leadership people, but it doesn't stop everyone in the business being a leader or contributing that. Now, the the challenge I think, and you've touched on it and might get your views on this if I can, is how do you inculcate in existing leaders to let go of some of that position power and allow others to help them find the best solution without worrying about it has to be them making every damn decision, every decision without reference to others how, how do you do that have you found some of that in the work that you've done yeah i think it's a great it's a great question um the way to do that is you've got to get back to you know i i look at leadership through three different lenses leading self leading your team and leading your organization so i think what we need to do for those more senior in more senior roles in organizations that say the decision makers that you talked about before i i refuse to call them leaders um because leadership is an act not a not an individual um what you've got to be able to do with them really really importantly is you need to be able to take them back two steps into leading self because i think one of the things that happens eric as we go through the hierarchy and we move up in the hierarchy is that we start to forget the human being that we are and we sort of get caught and get romanced in this positional power that we have. So the first thing that I say to people who find it hard to let go is 
let's take you back to you. Let's take you back to Eric. And what I want to understand from you, Eric, is what would you fear if you had to let go of some of what you think is your rightful area to make decisions? What if you gave some of that work back to your team? What are the things that you fear? Um, now, when I've asked that question, usually they'll start with, I don't fear anything. And I go, well, you do, because you're a human being. Where we usually get to is that they fear loss of control and they certainly fear a loss of relevance, contribution, and big the big one, identity. So so how, how do we bring them back? I think we've got to take them back into being the human being and say, let's start with your fears so we can understand what you're, what you're working against. Because, you know, we're a survival species and when we're fearful of not surviving and, and, human, you know, CEOs and MDs and those top echelon people, they're human beings as well. They have the same fears as mid-level managers, you know, transactional supervisors because they're human. Yeah, um, <laughs> where to start? There's a lot to unpack there. I, I guess if you ask me the question, yeah, one would be loss of control, but the other one would be potential impact on your reputation. And some people spend an entire career trying to build their reputation. I don't mean that from a power point of view. I mean that you do good work and your decisions lead to um, what I would say would be the best outcomes that are humanly possible. And um yeah, I understand why why people would be fearful of that because uh, there are some of us who are in leadership roles that maybe um, need to check themselves on this a, a bit, I guess, is it's not always about building a power base or building a silo. And on the come up, you're learning from people about how to interact with other human beings. But once you get there, I think some of us forget the pathway that we took to get there and you lose some of it. I say this in inverted commas, you lose some of your humanity once you get to that position because people, and, and this is, this, this is as much, I think an issue with the lead your team as much as it is with the person in a position of authority is people put all sorts of, all sorts of stock in CEO, GM, a director, a chairman, uh, you know, president, prime minister, whatever it is that there's some expectations when you get there. And so um, pushing against those expectations, I think is a bigger deal than people think about. And so your, your question's a lot deeper than you might think because everyone, everyone has some views that they don't want to necessarily shatter around what is a traditional leader. Um, does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. Look, and I'll just add something else in here, that we have worked in a system for a hundred plus years that is promoted in the workplace system that has promoted technical competence. So we can't but end up in a situation where we feel that the way we continually get promoted is we show that we're still technically good at the work that we've always done. So for instance, uh, I used to work as an afternoon shift um, loader and, and driver. And if I picked the parcels up at the right time and put the parcels in the right Bag, they promoted me into the call centre. And for those people who have heard me talk before, they've heard this before, I could find the missing wedding dress or the missing mining part. So then they promoted me into sales and I could sell things. So then they promoted me into a branch manager's role. And then ultimately you end up in a role with a significant span of control. 
but you keep doing what you did before to reward yourself, which is keep getting involved in doing the day-to-day -day work. And, and I think this is one of the greatest opportunities for any organization, but it's a really challenging one is, is to have that conversation with someone and go, we don't expect you to be doing all the work anymore, but we're not going to tell you just not to do it. We're going to ask you about what, what do you fear if you, what if you're not doing that? Well, all those things that you talked about and I talked about before. So you make absolute sense. I think it was important to overlay that so that people will be listening to this going, like, tell me anyone who hasn't been promoted based on their technical competence. Show me them and I'll be very surprised. Yeah, Mark, that, that comes up a hell of a lot around people being promoted because they're technically savvy or they've been in a role. So they've occupied a, a chair for five years, 10 years, and suddenly there seems to be a um, a compulsion almost from the powers that be to promote that person because of time served. And ultimately, a couple of questions don't get asked. Does that person really want the kind of leadership role that the company expects them to undertake? And two, have we prepped them enough for what it means to be a leader in, in a modern workplace? And I would suggest to you, and I, you know, you're smiling when I say this, but I think um, companies of whatever size don't give that enough forethought before they make their decisions. And you, know, hope, you hope that it works out well, but sometimes it leads to very toxic outcomes, not just for the person promoted, but for the people around them. And uh, that's a perennial problem that I don't think we're ever going to escape is, is my view of it. What, what would yeah. your view be, mate? So my view is this. I think you've asked a great question. I I run a I run a, an in-room, in um, I call it an experience, not a program. It's my marketing team come up with that. That's me. And it's like the human manager experience. The question I ask anyone that comes along is, did anyone ever ask you if you wanted to manage another human being as you've as you've been promoted through your organization and there has not been one person in nine years that has said yes i was asked that question so i think you've hit on something that's really important here is because we're so romanced in the technical proficiency piece we and, and then we might do you know a nine box the old nine box um, capability assessment of someone there should be a little question at the bottom of all those things going, have we asked that person if they want to pursue a career in human management? We don't do that. So that's that's the first part of it. And then the second part of it is if they say yes to that, and you've nailed it as well here too, Eric, is what's the development plan for them? Um, because I look at it this way, and I think this is one of the other reasons why leadership is such an important space for me is, We've got to look at everyone as as unique. So, you know, I'm a bit extroverted. You might be a bit introverted. Um, you've had a background in a certain thing. I've had a background in something else. Our lived experiences are different. Our, 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 our family situation could be different. We need to be thinking about all of that stuff when we're creating not a cookie-cutter development program, but what do we need to really help elevate Eric to the point where he can be very, very capable and has the capacity to lead well. And that might be different to what we've got to do for Mark. So I think I think you've really nailed a couple of things there. People ask the question, do you want to manage another human being? If you haven't asked that, you haven't done your due diligence. 
Yeah, it's an important question. And uh, as long as you haven't copyrighted it, I might start using it <laughs> in other... You, mate, mate, use it. It's, it's, it's also in, it's in my first book. And I think it's, I was never asked the question myself, but but I think everyone should be asked that question now. Because, you know, there are people who, who I think, you know, when I started asking that question to people, they'd go, no, I never got asked that, but I don't want to be promoted any further because I don't want to be up in amongst the... You know, I like to sort of play two out and two back because I don't feel safe enough up there. But secondly, what I'd like to be able to do is what if you just gave me some additional mentoring roles where I could help mentor some people? Then you go, they don't need a new fancier title than the last one they had to feel like they're still developing their skill set in an organisation. Yeah, and that that um, raises some issues in my head around leaders are they teachers are they mentors or are they coaches and people slide into those different roles in very different ways I, I like that idea of mentoring um, I had a little bit of that when I was in the public sector I never sought it formally but I I chanced on some managers that were probably decades ahead in their thinking that sort of took me under their wing and said, here's, uh, pardon the language, but here's the shit you shouldn't do when you're in an office environment and these are the reasons why. And if you treat people with the same respect you expect on a daily, people will see you as a good bloke or a good a good Sheila, whatever, whatever, the, whatever the, um, the nomenclature is to say, yes, this is someone who understands other human beings. And I can't believe that some people on the come up don't, think about that um i i certainly did um but the, the idea and, and you brought it up and i'd like to explore it if you've got a second is the way that you interact with leaders because i know you deal with leaders at multiple levels across different organizations do you see the leadership role as being coach mentor teacher or some mix of those things depending on the situation i think it's all of the above and it's situational so i you know, from a there's a lot of arguments that will say that the the manager can't be the mentor for the staff, and I sort of get that one. They they can be a coach and they can be a teacher. I think mentorship is highly underrated and underutilized. Um, there's a vast amount of experience in organisations, and for whatever reasons, we just start to say things like this. Eric is oh look, you know, Mark's fifty six now. He's coming towards the end. We'll just put him in the corner for a while and wait till he retires. We're missing out on on mentoring opportunities. There's reverse mentoring opportunities to learn from the younger folk now, and and certainly that's one thing that I I think I still learn, particularly if it's my podcast or from my kids who are a lot more tech savvy than what I am, mate. Um, I I think we wear multiple hats in in these roles, and I think what's really important is that we know which hat to have on at which time. And one of the other things that's not done to us is we're not forced to wear a hat because that's the hat that someone else tells us to wear because that's the latest program that we're working with. And you just have the agility in the moment to go, hey, this is a mentoring opportunity right now um, versus, no, this is now a coaching piece where I'm not going to give them my experience and tell them my answers. I'm actually going to challenge them to think more deeply about it. But another time I might go, so, for instance, we've had a good chat about, you know, you with what you're doing. Um, I could go into mentor mode with you and do a little bit of stuff around. I've been doing it for nine years and here's some things to watch out for. But I could also go into coaching mode and go, so, okay, what, what do you think about that? You've just explained it. What, what do you think the right way forward is? So 
that's that's the beauty of being self-aware and aware of others around you is that you know when to go into the different modes at different times and that could change at the at the click of the finger yeah agreed um one thing i was going to ask you uh, as a follow-up to my initial questions was around uh leader capabilities now you, you've you've seen um what good and bad looks like in the world of work and you've given some insights into what you believe are important for leaders to have and that that sense of self leadership self-management um i would suggest one that i would throw in uh based on what you've said and and um feel free to disagree is around that being a um reflective practitioner when you're a leader so thinking about what you've done asking yourself what you could have done better and what what went well and what didn't but then taking that next step and getting some external feedback from someone to say well this is what happened what's your assessment of what was there and I know that's difficult to do in some business settings but that idea of having someone that you can knock on the door a PR potentially I, I tended to use a mentoring network amongst other CEOs in the industry that I used to be in and I saw all of my colleagues as miles ahead of me in terms of their experience so I would now, me going to them was a learning experience for me being able to test a couple of things out and to, to try and get their perspectives. Now, I didn't always agree with the perspective that came back the other way, but always the, the fear that I had to get rid of was if you're going to be fair dinkum and ask someone for feedback, get it warts and all because a, a watered-down set of feedback that makes you feel nice and cuddly and warm is not going to help you if there really is some shit that you need to address in your practice. Does that, does that ring true for you? Absolutely. Because um, I've had two versions of let's call manager Mark, bad Mark as a young, over ambitious, high ego arsehole. And, and who didn't really care what he cared about was the title that he wanted to get to, which is a state manager. Um, and when I look back on that, on bad Mark, I think I learned more from bad Mark than I learned from, you know, a couple of decades past that good Mark who asked himself the question, which was what would happen if I treated my people like human beings because I hadn't been. Um, now, I only found that out because I had an amazing um, HR uh, business partner at the time who grabbed me one day and said, look, um, here's some things you need to know and um, here's your part in the mess of what's going on. And and she gave it to me straight between the eyes and I, you know, I... I usually resisted that stuff, but when you get to a certain point, you go, you know what, this is, there's a pattern here. And so I think feedback is, I think all feedback is a gift. I, I truly believe that. It's only that we use that word feedback. Like if I said, I'm going to give you some feedback, Eric, on your podcast, like you'll go straight into your bad news filing cabinet in your head going, oh, I wonder what he's going to say. But like, to me, it's like, you know what I like about this this podcast is it's a two human beings having a conversation. Now we've got to get over the fact that when we tell someone you're going to get some feedback that they go into sort of shrink mode and, and go into defense mode and go be open to what you hear, be open to the intention that it's, that it's being delivered to you by, by another human being and be open to the fact that a different perspective. And you said this before, which is critical in leadership, that all perspectives are um, welcomed, even though, you know, when someone told me that you're a bit intimidating 
and that um, you don't build good social networks and that you don't communicate well, that all stung me. I can go two ways and I can go, yeah, but that's just Eric and Eric and I don't get on. Or I can go, no, I actually think Eric's got a point there and now I'm going to explore that a bit more and ask him some more questions like, hey, can you help me with that, mate? Does that make sense? Yeah, and um, it's interesting that you you put it back on the person. So as much as um, I can't disagree with anything that you said about getting feedback coming to you and um, hopefully not going into that filing the feedback into the bad feedback. And I I like that analogy and I I tended to do that in my younger days. But um, after after I've lived some life and, you know, me pushing 50, I've seen life go buy some good and some bad in professional experience. I'm at the point now where I just want it all, what's and all, and I'm, I'm happy to sift out the things that I need to progress and the things that I don't necessarily agree with. I will ask a follow-up question, but what I really like from what you just said, and I'd like to put this into practice if I could, if someone does deliver something that's constructive feedback or, hey, you're not doing something at all, all right, if you're prepared to tell me that, then can you give me a, a possible solutions or pathways to get better? Even if that's directing me to someone else going, look, I've seen it and I felt it, but you should go to John X who will help you out or, or Susan mm. Y who will know something that I don't. And that that's constructive. And I guess I'm, I'm a big, big believer in constructive feedback, not destructive feedback, because it's easy to say, well, you're shit at this or you're not good at that and leave it at that without providing some context. And that sounds like a standard performance review. So, um, you know, we get taught how to tell people about what they're not doing well. And um, <clears throat> I want to I want to pose this to, you, to you, your watchers and your listeners is that how about starting to tell people what they're doing really well? Because I have a bit of a view. When I when I ask for feedback on what I do, I ask people, tell me what I did really well. And they're like, don't you want to know the other stuff? And I go, well, well, you can tell me that too, but I actually want to know what I did well. I get sick and tired of hearing people that I coach say, I don't know why I'm here because my boss tells me I'm doing a good job. And I say, well, what are you doing a good job at? And they go, well, I don't know. I only know that I'm doing a good job. If you're managing people and you're truly stepping into your leadership, my recommendation is, saying to someone they're doing a good job and not backing it up with some actual examples is like leaving them high and dry. And and I think this is where we get into this constructive and destructive feedback. I only see it as feedback unless someone turns up with, with an intent to be harmful. Yeah. And uh, I I think 99% of these interactions are not intended to be destructive, but sometimes people's intent, is not good um, no. and and to believe that we don't have toxic leaders that create toxic workplaces is is just not is putting your head in the sand i think that stuff exists and um, yep. to go back to something you said before i think i've learned more from those leaders that have not been as effective as they could be than the ones that were the great so the great leaders stand out in your mind for certain reasons but almost rivaling that memory in the really bad ones is this is the kind of shit I don't want to do if I get to a point where I've, where I've got the ability to make decisions and, and have some authority over teams to get some stuff done. And, and you do learn from your own mistakes alone from those that you see um, 
from other people. So, Mark, um, if you had a list, however long that list needs to be, what is your what, what do you believe are key leader capabilities in in the leadership that you're seeing at the moment? So I I I get a usually get an A4 sheet of paper when this question comes up, and I put a line down the middle and, and two columns, and one column is the technical capabilities, and the other one is the human capabilities. Both are really important because I think you bring those together, and that's where things work well. But I'd start. I think it's got to start with the human capabilities. So it's self awareness, it's empathy, compassion, it's um, it's honesty. It's, it's, it's courage, and I'm going to say it's the ability to provoke to get things done. Um, it's all of those behavioural things that we, we hear them call them the soft skills, which I absolutely hate that term. I, I call them essential human skills, and I take that term from one of my clients, a, a lady by the name of um, Julie Tickle, who, who shared that with me. And then I look at the technical side of it, and, and it's all around the, the process and the strategy and all these things, all these things that are really important, um, negotiation, communication, all that sort of stuff, um, process, things that I used to be really wedded to that I became less wedded to and went to the human side, but then found I could bring them together. So I, I think it's a good activity for anyone to do is don't get trapped with the usual corporate jargon around what leadership capability is. Divide it into your human your essential human skills and your technical skills, and then look at it and go, wow, if I put these two together, it's not one or the other, it's both. How effective could I be as someone who's demonstrating leadership in an organisation? I don't think we do it enough. Yeah, that that um, the deep dive into what your philosophy of leadership is is a difficult one because I, I, I'm a believer that once people get into certain roles, you stop potentially thinking about how do I get better at the at the craft of, of being a um, someone who, who's uh, dealing with other human beings. And exactly what you said before, people bring their personal lives to work. You're spending a third of your time in a job. If you're in a corporate gig or you're in a small business, you're almost 100% of your time is worried about the business and, and trying to survive um, having these skills and understanding that people have got got things going, could have family problems, could have illness in the family, they could be ill. There's lots of stuff that life will throw at you that um, uh, makes the, the process of managing people exceptionally difficult. So, yeah, uh, couldn't disagree. I haven't done that exercise of splitting the two and it'd be interesting to see what comes out um, on my list. Uh, you know, I, I think the human one, in, in, for some people, and I would put myself there, and, and I think I've learned from it, is that I just assume you had the human factors there and you could just draw on them. But I think sometimes people forget some things around dealing with human beings, particularly um, em being empathetic and understanding and, and walking uh, walking even a couple of feet in someone else's shoes is um, can be a difficult task for some People uh, like like yourself, I've spoken to a lot of leaders and in my professional life, I think I've met one or two human beings that I don't think had the capacity for empathy and I think that makes it difficult to be an effective, decent human being, let alone a leader. Um, have, you, have, you, have, you, have you met people like that that don't have an empathetic bone in their body that are leading people? Can, can you be effective as a leader without empathy? 
Um, I think people, well, you can be effective as a, as a manager without showing it because you can manage to get things done by whatever method that you use to do that. I think, and we start to embrace true human leadership. Uh, it's a, it's critical that, and you don't have to be absolutely the best at it, but you need to have some of those sorts of qualities, skills, characteristics in your in your repertoire to be able to to get people to do. Because one of the challenges of leadership is a lot of times we're trying to get people to do what they don't want to do. We're trying to get them to change. Now, you can you can write all the memos in the world you want about here's the new change that's coming up, and everyone. I sent the memo out to you, Eric, you got it, therefore the change is happening. But that's not helping people's um, beliefs and behaviours. So you need to be able to demonstrate and show some empathy to ask the question I said early on is, what do you fear? What do you fear about this change? What do you fear about this new program that we're running? Unless you, if you don't ask those questions and just go blindly into, into the next phase, what usually happens is you get to a point and you go, oh, shit, that didn't work. We better come up with a new reason to change and we'll take it to the town hall and we'll tell everyone again. And we keep following this cycle of let's just keep feeding people stuff that I'm going to say this, you dropped the S word before, our bullshit detectors get, um, they go off really quickly. And, and so all of a sudden you've lost the people because you haven't actually spent time to go, I wonder what they're thinking about this. Now, I've worked in HR, I think I can say this. Most HR teams, some of them are getting better at it. What they try and do is they, they get the change. It looks a bit bad. They sprinkle some hundreds and thousands on it in some corporate message, and then they take it to the people who still have to bite into the shit sandwich. So we need to be honest. And, and the only way to do that is to show some of your human side. Yeah, I 100% agree. Um, I think um, the proliferation, I would say, of change management jobs that are out there because I'm, I'm, I'm on seek a lot and you look for work and you see what's out there and change analysts and change managers and change leaders is, is the big one. And I think what some organizations still haven't caught on to is that the biggest issue, I believe, okay, this is Eric's opinion here, something we don't do well internally in businesses is bring people along uh, the pathway of a change, um, give them the why for the need for the change and what does it mean for them and have those um, open and honest conversations. And so people being hardwired the way that they are, resistance to change and being anti-change, I think is just hardwired in people, um, whether leaders believe that or not, I, I think is to their detriment if they don't. But it's how you navigate the conversations around why do we need to change and you know if you i use this example when you go see a doctor and they say look hey you put on a few kilos you need to change some habits you need to get healthy um you can choose to ignore that advice but it's going to be to your detriment long term for your health and for all sorts of things so um if you're willing to listen to a, a doctor who again this thing about they have a professional veneer about them so you're going to listen to them because they know what they're talking about if you haven't built respect in your teams and they don't believe what you're saying, their BS radar is, is finely attuned. I think Aussies are very good at this, that if you're not genuinely you, when you're talking about something, people pick up on that stuff. Absolutely. They do. Yeah. Almost immediately. And, and just, just, I guess just to challenge the notion of 
change resistance. And and maybe there's something else at play here for for humans to think about. I mentioned Andrew O'Keefe before. He wrote the book called Hardwired Humans, which Andrew's based up in New South Wales. And a lot of his work's based around um, these nine instincts we have, and, and they've been developed by a guy called Professor Nigel Nicholson from, from over in the London Business School. Now, he says one of our instincts is not change resistance, it's loss avoidance. And, and I think this is where, excuse me, mate. <clears throat> I think this is where we get, we get this wrong in the change process is we're, we're trying to work out how we can sugarcoat and put hundreds and thousands on what people won't accept without actually trying to understand what we think they're going to lose. So I'll give you, I'll give you an example of that. Um, open plan offices became a big thing 15 years ago. Now, when you make the change to open plan offices, some people are already sitting in open plan. They're not losing anything. But people who had an office are losing a lot, not just the physical location, but the status, the identity, the, the, the feeling that it gives them if they have family and their family comes in. And all of a sudden, you're going to send their family in and see them at, a, at an open desk that they've got to sort of fight for every day. Until we start to spend time and invest time in the leadership space to go, what is the change meaning to Eric versus Mark? And then how do we have that conversation at an individual level rather than just go, let's throw a blanket over both of them and hope this works out okay. So I just want, I just want you to consider this for you and your, your watchers and listeners is start to look at it as loss avoidance and change resistance. And I'm going to quote Marty Linsky here because I use this quote every day. We fear loss much more than we value gain. Yeah, nice. Okay. Um, yeah, give me something to think about. So uh, one good part of this process of having this conversation is I'll hopefully walk away learning something. I definitely will have a look at that. I, I personally, um, before this conversation, always looked at um, change as a resistance to something new or a new state of affairs, but that twisting it on its head and asking about what what do you fear you're going to lose um, in that process is a different question um, entirely and one I don't think gets asked um, well or gets asked at all um, because I, 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 so I, I just quickly I think resistance is the secondary behavior after they work out the magnitude of their loss so if loss is low in magnitude resistance is low if loss is high in magnitude, resistance is high. And resistance takes many forms, doesn't it? It can be the water cooler conversation. It can be it can be aggressive. It can be passive aggressive. It can be withdrawal, whatever it can be. But but for people to think that change resistance is 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 real, but it's not the first thing. It's the secondary thing. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Uh, look, um, we we can. Um we could have a podcast around that. And I think we will come back to that as a topic area. It's um, it's always been of interest to me again, because I see this proliferation of people, companies, sorry, looking for people that are good change agents and um, be interesting if they're all working off that same hymn sheet, or if it is, if, if it is the old, maybe I'll start thinking that I had that it's about resistance up front and, Maybe it's a whole lot of other things. Uh, people are complicated. Um, no two people think the same about something. And, and 
what someone feels subjectively about something is very different to the next person and they're not necessarily going to be thinking along the same lines. Nor, nor to be honest, is people's motivations for being at work. Uh, some people live their work. Some people are passionate about what they do and others are very utilitarian. They go to work, earn a check, um, happy to do what they need to do for their shift and go home. There's nothing yep. wrong with that. No. either but it suggests that people people are motivated by um different things so mark let me ask you the following i asked this in all of my podcasts and i'd love to get give you on it the nature versus nurture question uh are leader born are leaders born or are they made i think they're made i think that i think you know and you know i'm going to preface this by saying that i've drunk the Kool-Aid of adaptive leadership where they talk about the fact that leadership can be taught so I'm I'm absolutely in the camp that um, that with the right guidance, the mentorship, coaching, teaching, the right mindset that this can happen. And I think I'm proof of it. Of, of being bad, Mark, to becoming good, Mark, was that I I, I had to continue to learn as I do today. I, I learned from this podcast today because, and I learned to be better at leadership by talking to different people. And I'm you know, nearly 56. So it's it's about embracing being taught, not that they're born. Yeah, I 100% agree. Um, one, one thing I've posed to people, and I still can't let go of this in my own thinking, is you meet human beings in your travels that have got an X factor around how they deal with other people or when they're put into leadership roles, they're just naturally good at marshalling resources, marshalling people, getting some stuff done. Um, I think we all have that capacity. I, I guess it's if you don't have the environment and where you've got the ability to um, make some mistakes, learn from those things and um, get people to help you grow through either coaching or mentoring or teaching or some combination of those things. Um, nothing's impossible. Um, I, I tend to see the world as uh, glass half full, not glass half empty. So um, I think every, everyone's got... Uh, that opportunity. That said, I think there are some human beings that should never be leaders. I've, I've met these people. I, I have it in my head that there are some people that are just not cut out to work with other human beings. It doesn't mean they can't do a job, but leading people and um, getting the best out of other human beings is something that is not in everybody. Um, people may disagree. What What's your view? Well, I think some of those people that you've just described, I, I wonder if part of the issue has been that they were never asked the question at the front end, do you want to manage another human being? They were just force-fitted into that and and their natural inclination was to keep doing the work that they love doing. And then you get to a point, I think, where it's less about other people and more about just protecting yourself. So then, then other behaviours turn up. So... Um, I don't know that I've ever come across someone who turned up and went, I'm just going to be a real ass. But I think the system that we've created, which is why I say the human skills and the technical skills put together is where we need to start, is that you then give people an even chance to become more effective in their leadership role than if you just put them into it and and, and pray that it works. Yeah, that's <laughs> it. Pray and hope is uh, never a good strategy for, for for helping people. No. So uh, final question for you, Mark. Um, yep. If you had the chance to go back to that 
20 year old version of, of Mark and say, Hey, these are the things you need to think about to be more effective with other human beings. What would that list look like for you? Um, I might, this might be real left field. I actually wouldn't give them, I wouldn't give that 20 year old Mark the list because I want Mark to live the experience because I'll put it this way. I often say to people, don't try and save another person from their catastrophe because they need to live in the, and they need to live the catastrophe in order to come out the other side um, better for it. So I wouldn't give Mark that list. I'd, I'd let Mark experience it, the highs and lows and everything in between and sort of allow him to, to feel a bit of tough love. Yeah, that, that's the first, um, you're the first one to say it like that and I, I can see some value in that I, I guess you um, often and I, I, I'm thinking about this more and more as I age that geez I do things different when I was in my 20s knowing what I know now but you don't get to this point without having experienced some good stuff and some really crappy stuff along the way that has ho hopefully hopefully transformed you into a better person um, not worry about the leadership stuff so much but your life experiences can change you for good or bad. So yeah, I could see where you're coming from. Um, I, I probably, um, and I can't resist saying this. I probably would give myself the list and go, well, here's the cheat sheet, try and avoid some of these things. But uh, <laughs> Life being what it is, I think you can't avoid um, the foibles of life. So Mark, I agree. Mark, thank you for your time. So if people want to get in touch with you, what's the best way to do that, mate? Well, there's a couple of ways. Um, LinkedIn would be the best place. I'm on LinkedIn. As I see you on LinkedIn a lot, and I think it's fantastic that you're there. I spend a lot of time on LinkedIn. I think it's an amazing platform to build connections and to build um, both personal connections and commercial connections. I'll, I'll say that up front. Um, my website's www.marklebusque. It's L-E-B-U-S-Q-U-E.com. On there, there's um, my, my two books. You've got my programs my podcast and my uh, my fortnightly blog that goes out, you can subscribe to it there. So that's, they're the best places to get me. And, and please, any of your watchers or listeners, because we've had this conversation a bit earlier, um, reach out. I'm, I'm a human being like you. And if you've got a question, don't think, oh, I can't ask him that. Just reach out to me on LinkedIn and I'll do my best to get back to you as soon as I can. So that's the best place to get me. I'd like to thank Mark for his time today, a great discussion. Thanks again for your support. If you like today's content, please drop a like. Or alternatively, if you want to help me grow the channel, please subscribe. Have a great week, look after yourselves, and we'll catch everyone on the next episode of Talking Leadership TV.